measuring sales capacity, measuring sales ramp and productivity. You know, at Clubhouse, you know, how many people are we driving to our site? How many of those people are signing up for a trial? Completing the registration process, tracking what people are doing during their trial, provide a signal to us as to what those conversion rates might be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data, at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. On to the show today, I'm thrilled to welcome Amr Srivastava, VP Finance at Clubhouse, a project management platform for software development that brings every team together to build better products. At Clubhouse, Amr is responsible for the finance, legal, and HR functions. He has spent most of his 20-plus year career working with early-stage VC-backed companies. In his prior roles, he has generally been the first operational hire brought on to build out the GNA functions. He has worked with some of the most prominent VCs in the business, including Battery Ventures, JMI Equity, Firstmark Capital, Intel Capital, Union Square Ventures, and Spark Capital. Amar received his BA in business at Virginia Commonwealth University. He then went on to complete his executive MBA at Rutgers University. And so without further ado, let's hear from Amar Srivastava, VP of Finance at Clubhouse. Hey, Amar, thanks so much for joining me on The Backbone. We've got lots to cover on the show today, so let's dive right in. You've been in the tech space now as a finance leader for over 15 years. Talk to me about your journey and how it all started for you. Yeah, so, and you know, actually my father was an entrepreneur and uh, he had started a technology services company in the DC area that uh, primarily serviced the public sector. And during my high school years, his company really started to grow to a you know a meaningful size. And as I was kind of wrapping up college, you know, he was starting to get recognized for his company's success. Um, And, you know, he had, you know, won uh, a bunch of Entrepreneur of the Year awards um, during that time. He had won KPMGs, um, the Small Business Administrations, and uh, the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year award uh, for the D.C. area. You know, at that time, I'm still looking at him like he's just my dad. But then, you know, all of a sudden, a lot of my friends you know, who are thinking of starting their own company are asking me to see if they could meet with my dad so they could get some guidance from him. And, you know, at that time, he's also speaking at a lot of DC area conferences that are geared towards inspiring young entrepreneurs. And, you know, he always made it a point to carve out time to speak with those, you know, hoping to kind of inspire, you know, kind of that next wave of, of rising entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think after seeing my dad grow his business out of our basement, Um, of our house to, you know, over 600 people at its peak, I think it kind of inspired me as well in wanting to help uh, build a high growth company. And, you know, kind of uh, in the mid 90s, um, you know, he wanted to venture out into the private sector. And he asked me to help him start that venture with a couple of other people. And, you know, during those five years, I learned 
just so much. And it you really helped lay the foundation that's helped me to get to where I am today. You really got that uh, entrepreneurial drive and, and, you know, the passion in technology really early from, uh, I guess, it ran in the family. What was your first uh, gig into the, the tech world? Yeah, you know, after, you know, having worked at my dad's company for about five years um, and started looking for other opportunities, you know, that business started to, to wane a bit. Um, you know, I, I think it helped, it really helped me sort of understand the importance of the back office and, you know, having sort of led that function in that company, um, you know, for as long as I did, I felt like I had, you know, a really broad, um, set of experience, um, in the back office. And so as I was looking for other opportunities, I, I kind of, you know, my first, uh, you know, kind of VC back company was with the Redpoint back company. Um, and you know, it was a hardware startup and I got involved in that. And, you know, I think, you know, I think a lot of times in your career, you know, you sort of look back and say, Hey, if I could do something differently, this is how I would have done it. And I think, you know, that venture, you know, that red point back company kind of allowed me to do that because I had those experiences at my dad's company and, you know, realized some of the mistakes I made and said, you know, if I had to do this over again, this is how I would do it. And I think that's kind of what, um, has helped me as I have kind of, you know, gone from, you know, I think this is Clubhouse is now the fourth company that I've worked with where I've come in as, you know, the first finance hire to lead um, sort of the back office operations. Um, and so I think, you know, each step of the way as I've kind of moved into my career, there, there are obviously things that you continue to learn and things that you iterate and, and do better. And I think, you know, having worked there um, and then, you know, kind of, um, you know, the last company I was at, uh, Schoology, which, you know, again, came in early employee, was there for six and a half years and just saw tremendous growth um, and learned uh, a tremendous amount. And, you know, I think Clubhouse sort of gives me that opportunity to also kind of, you know, look back and say, hey, the things that I did at Schoology, what would I have improved upon now? And so, you know, I think I've been fortunate enough in my career that, um, you know, I've been able to kind of take the learnings of all the different experiences that I've had and, you know, continue to iterate on them and, and improve, you know, the back office efficiencies uh, at those companies that I go to. We'll talk a bit more about your experiences at uh, Schoology. But before we do that, uh, tell me a bit more about Clubhouse software. What does the company do and, and what is it all about? Clubhouse um, is a project management platform, you know, that helps bring everyone in the organization together to help build better software. Um, you know, I think it's, it's simple enough to use with small teams while still having the power, you know, to scale for large organizations. I think, you know, our founders had seen, you know, that a lot of the project manage management software tools um, that were built for software developers were either too simple or slow and overly complex, you know, to a point where people just didn't enjoy using them. And, you know, these tools end up creating these silo effects within organizations and that reduces collaboration and visibility between engineering teams and the rest of the organization. And, you know, Clubhouse solves for those issues. Um, you know, at this point, you know, we are, you know, we have about two and a half thousand organizations from around the world, um, including several billion dollar companies, you know, that, that plan, collaborate and build software using the Clubhouse platform. 
helpful to understand what what the company does. Uh, prior to Clubhouse, like you said, you were at Schoology. While both are SaaS companies, the go-to-market approach for each company is slightly different and nuanced. Uh, Schoology relied on a direct sales team, while Clubhouse drives revenue through marketing campaigns and customers that self-onboard. Now, talk to me about the different go-to-market approaches and how that impacts your role as a finance leader. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. You know, I, you know, the six and a half years I spent at, at Schoology, I felt like I, you know, lived and breathed, um, you know, SaaS. You know, I spent a lot of time reading blogs, digesting survey results and listening to podcasts. And I felt like I was really well versed in SaaS, um, but I quickly realized, you know, not all SaaS companies are the same. And, you know, as you mentioned in the, in the sales led model that we had um, at Schoology, you know, ACV values can be relatively high. Um, so before anyone purchases a product of that size, you know, that prospect, you know, needs multiple touch points and you need those ACV values to be high enough to justify you know, those interactions. Otherwise, it can have adverse effects um, on your cost of acquisition. I think, you know, in the product-led growth approach that we have at, at Clubhouse, you generally have lower ACV values, and it makes it really hard to justify that human interaction uh, during the sign-up process. Um, so you tend to do the sell, you know, you, you tend to have the product do the selling, and marketing needs to drive that awareness for the product. You know, but, you know, as you start to go a bit upstream and the AC value, ACV values start to get higher, then you do have to introduce sales touch points, um, even in a product-led growth model. Uh, but in the early stages, you know, it's all about getting people to your site and signing up without those touches. Would you say that there are more or less uh, customer success touch points uh, because customers are self-onboarding and they're not being handheld through that process like a sales-driven model? Is there more customer success interactions as a result or not so much from what you've noticed? You know, I think, you know, customer success is really important you know, part of the process, I think, whether you're in a sales um, uh, led model or a product led model, you know, e- either way, customers success, you know, their responsibility is to make sure the customers are using the product in the right way. Um, and they're getting sort of the benefit out of the product that you want to see. Now, in, in some cases, you need to help automate um, some of that work. Um, but, you know, um, in order to make your customers get the you know, the true value out of your product, you do need to have some touch in there to, to ensure that they're using the products in the right way. And, and customer success uh, has a big part to play uh, in that role. And you mentioned, you, you touched on some of these already, but um, beyond the ACV, uh, what metrics were vital for you at Schoology that are not as relevant at Clubhouse and, and vice versa, just given the, the different go-to-market approaches? Sure. Um, you know, at, at Schoology, we were focused on sales capacity, measuring sales ramp and productivity, you know, um, and we also had quite a bit of seasonality in our business um, since we were in the ed tech space. Um, so like even hiring new salespeople, we had this window where you wanted to make those hires. Otherwise, you would have a sales uh, rep ramping during the business busy season. And that was incredibly inefficient. So, um, you know, the, you know, those metrics were kind of front and center and things that we monitored, you know, really almost on a weekly basis. Um, and then, you know, sales pipeline, you know, that was something we spent a lot of time looking at to see if we had enough opportunities to support our bookings expectation, um, you know, for the quarter. 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we'll spend, you know, kind of dealing with those types of metrics, you know, at clubhouse, you know, it's all about, you know, how many people are we driving to our site? How many of those people are signing up for a trial? How many people, you know, are completing the registration process, tracking what people are doing during their trial to provide a signal, you know, to us as to what those conversion rates, you know, uh, might be now as, as, you know, as we continue to see more and more larger companies trialing our platform, you know, we, we do see the need to hire salespeople to help, you know, services, hire ACV prospects, but you know, the bulk of, of our conversions, um, you know, are marketing driven at this point. It almost seems like as you were explaining that, uh, as I'm visualizing, um, the funnel, both of the, both companies and both go to, go to market approaches follow a funnel. However, the drivers of that funnel and the, uh, conversion points are, are slightly different and nuanced. And I guess that's what dictates, uh, the metrics that, that you monitor and track. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And so at Schoology, you were the first finance hire, like you mentioned, at a company when it was less than 20 people. And when you left, that company had 10x their revenues and grown their team to over 200 people. So what were your biggest learnings from scaling Schoology that you're now employing at Clubhouse? You know, we experienced, you know, tremendous growth during my time at Schoology and, and you know, during those early years because of our growth. You know, our measurement systems and business applications, you know, you know, tended to lag. And I think that's generally the case with high growth companies in the beginning. Um, and for most of us, um, you know, at Schoology at that time, you know, we were experiencing a high growth company for the very first time. So at times it felt like we were paying, playing a little bit of a catch up. Um, and, you know, the good thing for us was, you know, the business was experiencing that great growth. We were growing on average. Uh, in excess of 100%, you know, four years running. Um, but, you know, that growth slowed down a little and kind of caught us off guard. And, you know, when we did a retrospective, you know, we realized that if we had peeled back the onion on some of those metrics, we probably could have predicted that slower growth. Um, you know, and I think a lot of companies get into that cadence of super high growth and there's this expectation that it's going to continue and at some point it doesn't. Um, you know, so I think, you know, kind of coming in Clubhouse, um, I feel like, you know, I, I have been through, um, you know, the, you know, great growth. Um, I've experienced kind of, you know, the highs and lows and sort of am better prepared to ensure that, you know, we're sort of tracking all of the metrics that are important to the business right from day one. And I think we've done a really good job um, uh, of doing that, um, you know. And so I think, you know, as as a head of finance, it's it's your job to ensure that the measurement systems are built out and segmented enough um, that you can see when certain segments are lagging or, or figuring out which ones are overperforming so you can increase investments in those areas. Um, I think one of the other important learnings is, you know, to ensure, you know, which systems will be the single source of truth for metrics. Um, I think companies, you know, tend to use many different systems that that have overlapping functionality. And you could have two systems spitting out different numbers for the same metric, and you really can't have that. And I think during the last few years at Schoology, we did a really good job of solving for that. And even kind of right off the bat for Clubhouse, I think those are things that we're focused in on to ensure, you know, we know when we're reporting on a metric that, you know, there's confidence that that 
that that number is accurate. That's one sense of the truth is is obviously so important as you you scale an organization. Uh, another component, you know, growing a team from twenty to two hundred, it requires a lot of thought and effort on an emphasis on you know maintaining the company's culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that aspect? You know, um, you know our culture um, was incredibly strong, um, you know, during my time at Schoology. And I think it was a factor in, you know, the high employee retention rates we had. Um, the products itself played, you know, a big part in that. You know, at, at Schoology, we were uh, we were about advancing what's possible in education. And it was incredibly powerful to see the effect of what we were creating had with people. Um, you know, when you would see teachers tweeting about the difference our platform makes in their lives and the lives of the students, it's, it's really meaningful. You know, we'd often have educators speak at our company meetings to tell their stories. So, you know, when the team needed to power through, you know, through a deadline, it, you know, it was like you could hear that educator's voice in your head, you know, to, you know, to kind of help you, um, you know, get to your goals. And, you know, I think in, you know, somewhat similarly at Clubhouse, the product is is front and center too. And, and, and we're building a platform that, you know, other software teams use to create software. And, you know, almost all companies have software to help drive their business. And so we're constantly getting, you know, hearing praise from engineers telling us how much joy they get from using our product. And, and you know, you know, that, that, that group tends to have a really high bar. So, you know, I think in, in with with both of those experiences, you know, having a a product and a a strong mission, um, you know, helps to kind of build that culture and and build a strong culture. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, being. Uh close to the front line of uh, the actual customers that are using the product and getting feedback from them, not only from, I guess, the, uh, not only for teams that are more customer facing, but throughout the organization, like you mentioned, having uh, educators come in and, and speak about their stories. Uh, I think that truly resonates throughout everyone within an organization because you can feel a little bit more closer to the product and what you're building for, even if you're not directly engineering or, or development uh, for that product directly, you can at least feel the the scale and the uh, scope of the solution and, and get a true sense of purpose as to why you're, why you're there. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, with social media, it makes it a lot easier for people to, you know, to, to give their opinions about the product. And so, you know, I think that's um, that that's it's really helped us to kind of get you know real time sense of of how people are feeling uh, about the you know the solution we're delivering. Last question now before we jump into our quick fire round, and and that is, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at a fast growing tech company like Schoology or like Clubhouse? Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, I think you know the most important thing is you know being a really good partner to the CEO. You know, being able to have frank discussions that are rooted in metrics. I think there are times when people can, you know, focus in on, you know, the great things that are happening within the business. And, you know, the head of finance has to be able to, you know, evaluate all components of the business. Um, and there are always parts of the business that aren't performing as planned. And, you know, to be able to, you know, to do that job effectively, um, you know, I think I referenced some of these uh, in my earlier responses, but you have to ensure you know, you have solid measurement systems in place uh, and that are trusted. Um, and, you know, to be effective, you have to be able to have those discussions and have those conversations. And, you know, I think, 
you know, those are best done when they're supported by the numbers. Yeah, the numbers and, and data are, are definitely something that can uh, provide the facts when, especially, you know, in, in a founder-led organization, um, there's a lot of maybe gut instinct. <laughs> it's like, hey, we should exactly. do this. Yeah, we should do this because it feels right. But then uh, I think as a finance leader, uh, you ha- almost have the duty to be able to prove or disprove that gut feeling with numbers and fact checking. Yeah, that's exactly right. What I'd like to do now is uh, jump into our quick fire round. And the way this works is I'll ask you uh, some questions and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Okay, great. All right, let's do it. So what's your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or growth finance related? Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, and I hear this from, from a lot of folks on, on your podcast, but I think, you know, uh, David Skokes, um, you know, Pacific Press surveys, his blogs, I think are, you know, sort of like the Bible when it comes to SaaS. Um, you know, I think Tomas at Redpoint has, has a great blog as well. Uh, Bessemer has great content uh, as well as HubSpot. Yeah, for sure. Some great resources that you mentioned there. Uh, what's your favorite productivity hack? You know, uh, I'm a real fan of OneNote, um, the Microsoft tool. Uh, I've just found that it is a, a great way to kind of, you know, put in all of my notes, um, whether they be from interviews, meetings, and things like that. But you know, I find OneNote to be very easy to use um, and to be able to kind of gather everything um, that I need to track. That's great. And what's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? You know, um, you know, I always like to think of one thing that I wished I would have accomplished that day, but didn't. Um, but then I immediately follow it up with one thing that I did do that was impactful. Um, you know, I feel like I used to do the former and would just focus on the negative. And over the years, I've tried to end things on more of a positive note. So I, I, I kind of take a look back at the, you know, the, the things that I did that day that I was really happy to get done. That's great. So like a a moment just to reflect on one thing you wish you could have accomplished and then finishing it up with one thing that you have accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I I think I might start using that myself. Um, (laughs) What's one tech jargon that makes you cringe? You know, I I think when I hear um, when people are describing their company as disrupting their space, um, I think that's probably the one thing that probably uh, gets to me the most. Um, I, I tend, I think there, it seemed like there was a time where everybody was disrupting their space and it just, it just got so overused that, uh, that that's probably the one that, that, that gets to me the most. Yeah, for sure. I've heard that one uh, as a response many a times and I, I see it as well. So I uh, agree with you on that one. Um, what, and lastly, what's the best advice that you've received so far in your career? You know, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if my dad sort of ever, you know, kind of, you know, told this to me directly, but, you know, I always saw him learning, you know, even when he was sort of on the back end of his career, you know, I would always see him reading, trying to digest information, you know, learn different aspects of the business. So we would kind of help him make better decisions. And I think I've tried to emulate a bit of that. Um, since I have a fairly long commute um, getting into New York City, um, it's about an hour and 40 minutes each way. You know, I make it a point to spend some of that time, you know, listening to podcasts, reading a blog, you know, trying to hear about other people's experiences. And so I think just, you know, constantly wanting to learn and wanting to kind of, you know, um, you know, 
help inform yourself um, so you can be a better partner to the CEO and the company um, to make those decisions. I think, you know, I think, you know, kind of having that constant urge to, you know, to want to learn um, is is probably the best advice I've got. That's great. That's great advice for sure. Well, thank you, Amr. Really appreciated your time and uh, your your conversation and discussions around uh, different go-to-market approaches for SaaS companies, uh, even though SaaS companies may all look uh, like SaaS companies on the outside. Once you peel, right. once you peel back the onion, they're, they're different uh, go-to-market approaches that call for uh, different kinds of, of metrics and, and KPIs that, that should be monitored, uh, as well as talking about how to scale uh, companies going from you know 20 people to 200 people uh, and what it really takes as a finance leader to, to drive and, and be a part of uh, a lot of that scaling effort. So I really appreciated this chat and thank you again, Amr, for all your t- uh, time today. Yeah, Shubham, thanks for having me on today. This was, uh, it really was a lot of fun. Uh, also want to thank you for all the work that you do in developing a forum specifically for finance leaders. You know, I think I mentioned earlier that I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts to learn as much as I can about the different experiences uh, that people have had during their startup journey. And I haven't found one focused on the voice of the finance leader. You know, they all seem to be focused on, you know, all the different functional areas like sales, marketing and product. So, um, you know, keep up the great work that you're doing. And, and once again, really appreciate being on uh, today to, you know, share my experiences. Thanks so much, Amr. That really means a lot uh, to hear it straight from you. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. What a fascinating discussion with Amr Srivastava, VP of Finance at Clubhouse. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.